says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. Joining me for all things NRL and news this week are my good mates, 60s and Quint. Boys, how you doing? Well, mate, I'm doing pretty well. It's always a pleasure to be here on the world's best Parramatta Eels theme podcast. Uh, look, it's not something we talk about, but apparently a lot of other people talk about that. So um, it's good to be here again. Uh, Clint, how you doing, mate? I'm pretty great, gents. And look, you know, the, the audience are only human for having those thoughts. But, um, you know, what a weekend it's been, uh, certainly for the Parramatta Reels, maybe not so much for the Newcastle Knights. We'll get into that a little bit later. But, um, <laughs> yeah, feeling pretty good. And uh, before we roll into it, boys, as always, a quick shout out to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners, Narellan, Auburn and Parramatta. Parramatta, sorry, not Parramatta. Uh, Parramatta couldn't do the podcast without him. And, uh, What's that? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Or is it time for... News team! Assemble! And for all the news and action for Parramatta and the NRL from rounds 9 to 10, I defer to you, 60s. Take it away, mate. Well, mate, just before we start that, a quick mention that This Sunday at the home of the Eels Parramatta Leagues Club, there will be a live away site set up at the club, sort of similar to what happened in the preliminary finals and the grand final last year. And we will be in Jack's Bar and Grill for the Parramatta versus Titans game, bit of a pre-game show and an instant reaction at the end. So if you'd like to get along to the home of the Eels Parramatta Leagues Club, Make sure you're there. You'll catch not only the game, but you'll catch us there as part of the Eels festivities. So, fellas, a huge weekend, as we said, for Parramatta Eels supporters. And, of course, it kicked off on Friday night with that massive win against the Knights, the one that threw in the disrespectful field goal at the end. We love that disrespectful <laughs> field goal. Mostly when we kick it. Now, let's, let's, let me rephrase that. Only when we kick it. So what's what's our learnings from Friday night? Clint, what's your main take? Well, my main take is uh, our, our team continue to, I won't say the word dumbfound um, or, or even surprised, but, you know, I, I didn't go into Friday night expecting a 13-plus victory. I, would, I think we're all a little bit cagey and being cautiously optimistic last week in our preview. And I, and I came away completely surprised with the result, particularly when you consider not only RCG being out, but um, Ryan Madison was a late withdrawal as well. But, geez, didn't the boys stand up? They were, they were very impressive. And, you know, we, we also left some points out there. I think the words you were looking for was that they challenge your expectations. <laughs> Thank you for putting that so succinctly. Yes. Uh, what about you, John? Yeah, I mean, we spoke about it in the post-game 60s, one of the more bizarre games I've attended in terms of how freely Parramatta are able to attack against Newcastle, but also how many points are left out there. Any game where you've got more line breaks and your opposition has points is a doozy, and that was the case here. 
some standout performances from the likes of Will Penasini and some of those forwards. Uh, was very good. Makatora and Ogden probably having career days out there. And the big question is going to be for those two is, were they one-offs or can they harness more of that energy moving forwards as the Eels look to fill that gap that is Raiden Campbell-Gillard? Yeah, and I think for me the main take was that a couple of players set new standards, new benchmarks for themselves. And like you just said then, the question mark is, is it something that they are capable of repeating? And if it is something they're capable of repeating, then we're in a good place in terms of our backup players or interchange. But, uh, of course, there's a, there's a saying that I'm going to start to use, which is you're only as good as your next game. Not you're only as good as your last game. You're only as good as your next game. And from the Eels' perspective, we always need that next game to be... Uh, a winning game and and the best possible for performance that a team any of the players can put in for the team. Uh, yeah, now that was perhaps just the curtain raiser, fellas, because the big event from the weekend was out there at Leichhardt Oval, uh, a bit of a damp Leichhardt Oval, but it was certainly happy days for the Parramatta Eels SG ball team, Clint. What an impressive game it was. You know, there was a handful of performances out there, but, you know, we touched on a few weeks ago about that club spirit that exists throughout the grades. And, um, you know, it, we continue to see that on show again through the SG Ball Grand Final. Some, some real gritty performances um, from, from the players in that side. And then, you know, um, echoing the sentiments of that, of that club mentality, what about the celebrations after the match, where there were uh, the, the winners were greeted by the first graders in the um, in the change rooms? Uh, that's certainly an image that'll live on in, in, in my memory for a little while yet. But um, some really wonderful performances, gents. You know, Ethan Sanders got man of the match, but you could have just as easily have given it to Matt Arthur. He had some real game turning moments. That forty twenty followed up by the uh, the, the, the try system. You know, a, a, a minute or two later really, really pivotal in swimming, swinging some, um, I should say, swinging some important momentum back our way when, and, uh, uh, I, uh, I guess, a pesky uh, new, uh, Newcastle side just wouldn't go away. John? Yeah, I mean, it capped off a tremendous final series for the Parramatta Eels, starting with that fast and frenetic game against the Western Suburbs Magpies, backed into such a complete performance against the minor premiers and the Canberra Raiders, and they really brought that same energy to the game at Leichhardt on Saturday. Newcastle refused to go away, but the Parramatta Reels were in control of this game from start to finish. Uh, I mean, both the halves laid on identical tries using their back rowers. Dom Farouge on the left with Sanders, Charlie Geimer on the right with Josh Lynn. That got the Eels out to that 12-0 start. Newcastle fought their way back. Uh, it looked like the tide was sort of turning in the second half with uh, some uh, less than uh, kind refereeing, I suppose, probably the nicest way of putting it. Uh, but the Eels <laughs> managed to turn the tides of that aforementioned 40-20 and tri-assist to Woods that you spoke about there, Clint. Uh, and this was really a team effort. You know, you go through that team list, each one of those 13 starting players made significant contributions. Uh, I fought Devontae Vivello, who the week before against Canberra uh, dropped a couple of uh, tri-scoring opportunities. Well, in this game, he iced his two chances. He got two in that game and he took both of them, including a bounce pass from uh, Arpa Tweedle. So... Really happy to see him bounce back and really uh, pay back the coach's faith in taking that selection uh, over some other choices on the wing. Uh, you know, Muhammad Al-Madin 
well, he had a fantastic defusal right at the death there. They went for that crossfield kick, mm. and he just went up AFL style and came down with it. Um, both the centres were excellent. Penasini scoring a try, Blaise Talonghi just being strong throughout the entire game. And their off-the-ball work was really good too. Their kick chases were aggressive on those uh, attacking kicks, and you love to see that. In the front row, I thought Lance Folima was very good. Sam Torvati, he was my best on field. Uh, junior year of eligibility in the SG ball, he was a man amongst, well, other hulking young men. But, uh, you know, he was the one that was setting the tone. And, you know, he, he was so, so good. Uh, Don Bestratus, Charlie Geimer, Saxon Pryke were tireless. Uh, the, all the interchange boys did their jobs too. No one was a, like a, a superstar off the interchange, but they all did their jobs. So it was a fantastic uh, team performance and, uh, you know, caps off a very good, uh, barring the losses to Penrith and, and uh, Canberra, a very good campaign. And, you know, full credit to all the coaching staff and uh, head coach Steve O'Day. They've done a wonderful job with this group of very talented young men. Basically, you'd have to say the coaching staff had the Eels primed for their best performances Timed when they hit the final series. Mm. Yep, absolutely. The, the defensive resolve during the final series is what stood out for me. We, we, we've had a lot of the fine moments from the individual players. Uh, you rattled off Sam. Um, you rattled off Ethan Sanders and uh, Matt Arthur. And, yeah, they had, they had really strong performances through the final series. But you also referenced that every player did their job. And I think that was key to the final series is that every player did their job and most importantly, they did their job in defence. I mean, they really turned up for each other in that defensive results. But right on the try line, their defence on the try line was as good as you're going to see from any rugby league team. It was just that they just refused to yield. And even the the try, one of the tries there that the uh, that the Knights scored. I mean, it was it was arguable that the bloke was held up. And he, he wriggled out. It seemed like the, the Eels players sort of eased a little bit when they were holding him up, and then he sort of wriggled. I think they were expecting the, the ref's call. Uh, then again, you know, you've got to wait till the call is made. So, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other in terms of where you, where you either say that, that how the try was able to be scored or whether the try was allowed to be scored. But that aside, all the opponents had to work to score their tries. And... In that grand final, the the Newcastle Knights, when they were making their surges, that was on the back of extreme flows of possession, like real extreme flows of possession. And I'm not taken away from the Knights because they just kept coming back and they've got some really good players who will be NRL players in that team. And they had a couple of players that were out as well. So we have to give them credit on a good season and being a good team. But if not for those significant flows of position, we're talking about penalties, repeat sets, charge downs where the ball bounced their way. Uh, it was their, their tries were being scored on the back of like the third, fourth, fifth set in that, in that flow. So um, I, I honestly felt that the Eels were uh, the far, far superior team out there on the field against a team that, as I said, just were dogged in that they just refused to give up against the Eels. But I think the Eels were deserved winners. And um, But it was just a Parramatta thing that we had to sit on the edge <laughs> of the seat till the end of the game, wasn't it? 
So, um, yeah. Um, Eagles law. But, look, you mentioned the celebrations and the Jets. It was, it was great, those celebrations at the end. I, I mean, thanks to Eels Media for capturing all of that. So, um, it was, it was boys, great I to mean, see that imagine what it would have been like being in the sheds. And there's the NRL yeah. fellas there waiting to join in your celebrations. It, it was a really great connection to see. And I know I've had a good portion of this SG Borg team. Uh, what, Penasini, Talangi, Sanders, I think, uh, was did both Fort Lima and Tuavati do the preseason? Or just... Uh, one of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, both of them did uh, pre-season. Arthur and Geimer and maybe Saxon all did that uh, pre-Christmas preseason. So there was a strong connection there to the first grade team. And to see them turn up for their big day and celebrate that moment in the sheds of them is a, you know, really a, a treasured memory for these boys moving forwards. Yeah, and we like to think that the Parramatta players, as many of them as possible, are para-aspirational. And I'll tell you what, those sorts of moments when the NRL players look as just as invested, just as as excited about the victory as they were, you know, that goes a long way towards having great unity within the club. But, of course, they weren't the only two victories over the weekend. We did see the New South Wales Cup team bounce back in emphatic fashion, also against the Newcastle Knights and a not too dissimilar score to the NRL team, winning 44 points to 10. Um, Clint, that's an amazing turnaround for the uh, New South Wales Cup team. They're on the uh, receiving end of quite a a big hide in the week before. Well, we spoke about exceeding expectations before. Um, Certainly New South Wales Cup falls into that category. Uh, A a complete 180 from the game against the Warriors over in New Zealand. Um, and some some really good performances all round within in that side. There was a, there was a few doubles throughout the um, throughout the Eels scorers. We saw many many Luke who's come in at a hookup get a double. Uh, I think Zach Sini and Matt Dury did as well. Um, some real strong performances in the forwards. Uh, the, uh, Andrew Davy um, in his first game back in Eels colours uh, doing quite well. Likewise, um, Matt himself. Um, uh, Zach Thini as well, obviously getting the double. Uh, watching the highlights back as well, what a run from Jack Murchie to set up a yeah, last Yeah, that was a nice try, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, that, that, that's the, those are the type of signs that you want to see from the reserve grade side. And, and, and those players who are part of the, uh, the NRL squad applying that type of pressure. You know? And it becomes even more important when, when we talk about players being out. And you know, hopefully that, that's the type of performance that can – create a little bit of confidence within the players in that grade. And, and, you know, much like we said to the likes of Makatoa and Ogden, a new expectation has been set. That's, that's the foundation performance. You keep, you keep playing to that level. And you know, for a handful of those boys, they come, they well and truly come back into uh, the contention and consideration for an NRL um, and uh, as they should, you know, so Enjoy. hopefully this is the performance that, um, that really kickstarts it for for the cup side. Obviously, they're playing a, a, a um, the, the last place uh, Newcastle team in that grade. But you know, sometimes you just need one win, boys. And John, uh, the performance of Many Luke is he related to uh, Sunny Luke? Yeah, I think we got the uh, Fox Sports weekend wrap for the New South Wales Cup, and they referred to Many as the younger brother. So we finally get that connection put together. 
uh, which also we, we sort of speculated given he came out of the Penrith district. But yes, the younger brother of Sonny, I think. So he actually uh, looked pretty sharp on the uh, highlight reel there. So good to see a bit of attacking threat out of dummy half of the Parramatta Reels in this game. And uh, yeah, Newcastle, they had just a one win in the season coming into this game. They were last coming into round nine, last exiting round nine. So Eels doing what they had to do. And, and like Quinn said, hopefully this is a get right game for them after a tough couple of weeks. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the, what you saw from uh, many Luke in the highlights. Yeah, very a uh, couple of tries there. Uh, he looked very sharp at training during the week last week. I hadn't seen much of him. We weren't able to. But there was obviously a clash of times because the New South Wales Cup was being played at a similar time to the SG Ball Grand Final out at Leichhardt, and we were out at Leichhardt, so we couldn't be up at Kellyville. But the highlights, he certainly looked sharp there. He looked sharp at training. Uh, the other, you met, you mentioned that run from Jack Murchie. He was, he was almost channeling the ghost of Brett Kenny in that run, turn and play <laughs> right and out as they're running backwards. Um, and also, uh, for those who, who always quick to criticise Jake Arthur and his pace, when that kick was put forward, Jake was nowhere in the picture for his try. And he scooted past all the uh, players that were uh, chasing after the ball to touch down on the uh, kick. I think the kick came from Rankin from uh, memory. So uh, good to see him showing uh, some of the critics just he's, he has got a little bit of toe. He's, he's not the most conventional runner that you'd ever see, but he is a competitor and he's always keeps himself in that moment in a game. So well done to Jake there. But, before we get to the actual team list this week, there's a little bit of signing news. So we had Sean Russell re-signed to, uh, I think it's the end of uh, 2025, isn't it, Clint? Yep, uh, a two-year extension for Sean and um, you know, it continues the mantra of the development club that the uh, the Parramatta Eels espouse. Um I might just touch, uh, circle back, I should say, 60s. Um, you mentioned Jordan Rankin with the kick there in, in New South Wales Cup. Jordan was actually at the SG Ball Grand Final as well. So we talk about a one-in-all-in club mentality. This is maybe some of the things that um, you know, the everyday fan doesn't see because it's not captured on film. But you know, obviously, he has a role with the club, and that's well-documented, but... You know, making the effort after playing the game at Kellyville and getting across to um That's to seriously, Ball, seriously second impressive. Grand Finals, phenomenal effort. Yeah. Um and and you know, and the the, the, the signing of the re signing of Sean Russell again just it, it echoes the culture that exists within the club that I guess maybe people don't don't necessarily see. It's it's not something that you can tangibly touch, but you know, when you see little pockets of these things and 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 really good news stories like Sean re-signing, you know, it it, it sends an external message about what's going on at this club. Bittersweet week for Sean, though, wasn't it? Gets the uh, the good news that he's sticking on for a couple of years, <laughs> then gets the uh, call into the coach's office, mate. I'm sorry, but you're not making the team this week. So that's uh, a <laughs> that's how football and professional sports go. He get he gets the far more important good news, I would say, there, knowing that his career is secure at Parramatta until the end of 2025. Well, Sean wasn't the only signing news. We had the more of the Parramatta's NRLW uh, signings announced, the sides slowly starting to take shape. Uh, can you run us through those signings, please, Clint? 
Yeah, well, over, over the course of the last week, uh, the club announced Elsie Albert from the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Very impressive uh, front row forward. Um, Jens, I, I'm, you know, I'm personally watching the NRLW over the last two seasons. Um, she's been a player of note that's really stood out and um, been a driving force behind a successfully performing St. George side. Um, likewise, we announced the signing of Makia Davis-Welsh um, and a handful of re-signings with Zali Faye, Abbey Church, um, Reuben Sherrington, the sister of Kennedy, joining her sister at the Mighty Eels. Uh, there's also the rumoured re-signing of Cassie Tohiku, who, um, depending on which uh, is your go-to source of rugby league on the internet, we're waiting official confirmation of that. Um, but they all join um, Kennedy Sherrington and Rachel Pearson within the NRLW squad for 2023 and beyond. Yeah, And I, I guess we're also waiting on news about what's going to happen around Tiana Penitani also. Because... Yeah, because she was a two-year signing from last year, wasn't she? Uh, so she yes. would still have a year under contract, uh, but we have to wait and see if that whole mad scramble over the contract's being voided or anything like that. But, yeah, good moves. I mean, Elsie is a real tone setter in the forward pack. Uh, alongside Kennedy, they're going to be the two real pillars of the Parramatta ruck. So really nice to see that. And uh, I've got to say, while we haven't made a lot of splashy signings, uh, there's been some good logic to the players that we have picked up externally. Uh, Pearson is obviously your control tower at number seven. Albert helps set the tempo and the tone in the middle with Kennedy. Uh, and yeah, and then you get some really solid re-signings around there alongside the uh, uh, pickup of uh, David. Was it Davis? Is that it? Davis Welsh. Dave Davis Welsh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but she's, um, she's, she's transitioned from being a fullback when she was uh, playing earlier in the uh, in the women's game. And I think she had time out to have a, a family. Two, two children, I believe, yeah. Yes, and now she's returning, but I believe she's going to be returning as a forward. Yeah, so maybe so, she could be that sort of modern-day ball-playing lock forward behind uh, the, the platform that uh, Elsie and Kennedy set up. Yeah, so it becomes interesting then. Who will Parramatta announce as a fullback signing? It's um, is the fullback going to be is the fullback already at the club? Maybe. Well, the, I, I guess we have to we have to see whether there's going to be an announcement of someone uh, being um, an internal announcement, or whether it's going to be uh, an external recruitment, but. We're talking about, I think, the pre-season is due to start. I think the, the squads have to be fully named by the end of this month, if I'm if I'm correct on so that. Are we gonna, I'm pretty sure it's the end of May. Are we going to announce a top 18 or something <laughs> in, uh, in, spirit, <laughs> in spirit and in um, solidarity for our NRL team? Yeah, look, it's speaking to some club sources. The, it's, the landscape has completely changed for the NRLW because... In the, in the women's game, even in the pathways, the agents are now involved mm. big time. Anyone that has a, had a listen to our chat with Nathan Brown uh, last week when we were previewing the SG Ball Grand Final, and, and even the chat we had before him earlier in the year, knows that uh, the pathways are now shockingly competitive. And yeah, you want to keep the players you have on your books, whether it's a young lad or a young lady, but it's just not easy anymore. And the NRLW has had a four-team expansion wave, which means that essentially, you know, chum in the water for these sharks to come uh, feasting. Well, mate, I might just keep your thoughts rolling here because Parramatta players will come further into the spotlight because there are 
quite a number of them that have been named in the in the city teams and especially in the female pathways. Yeah, yeah, you give Quinn all the easy ones. Yeah, 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 I see how it is. Uh, <laughs> we, we were talking about uh, at the conclusion of full-time the SG ball, whether they'll be naming the uh, junior rep teams, the junior rep rep teams uh, at Leichhardt because in years past they would name the New South Wales squads. But obviously we've moved back to city country. Uh, they've pushed it back to the end of the next week. Uh, so... On the men's side, or the young men's side, the Eels have representatives in the 16s and 18s uh, for the New South Wales, or the city under 16s, because the way these are structured is uh, Harold Matz and SG Board take the city side. Uh, Laurie Dowie and Andrew John squads take the countryside now. Uh, so on the city side for the Eels in the 16s men's, Mason Ong, Larima Rokosuka, Lockie Vella all got picked. Uh, so they're all junior year eligibility in their Harold Matthews seasons. Uh, a couple of outside backs there in Rokosuka and Vela, and obviously Mason Ong's a big prop forward, all had very good seasons. Uh, in the 18s, boys or men's, Richard Penasini, Blaze Talangi, and Sam Tulavati all get selection, and you won't hear a single uh, naysayer, I think, to any of those picks, but the player that's got to be desperately unlucky there, boys, is Matt Arthur. I know there was another good dummy half picked, uh, obviously ahead of him in... Uh, Talon De Silva? Uh, yeah, Talon De Silva. But sure, you'd find space for two dummy halves there, especially with the grand final winning uh, uh, player. Look, I think not only has Matt Arthur been exceptional for the Parramatta Eels, but he's been an exceptional player in the competition and he outplayed his opponents all through the final series, including Talon De Silva. Mm-hmm. And that's not a, that's not a knock no, on No, it's not a slight on Talon. It's just no, that no, Matt, no, Matt no, had not a tremendous campaign. It's, it's more a comment that it's it was very unlucky. Now, uh, it's, I mean, he's, with Matt Arthur, we're talking about someone who does qualify age-wise because the having it as 16s and 18s makes it interesting because the uh, Harold Matthews goes up to 17 years of age and the uh, SG Ball goes to 18 years of age. So the players that are being selected would be a combination of players who are um, in the young age group for the um, for the Harold Matthews, the 16-year-olds the that are there. So if you're wondering why there are certain players, say, in the Parramatta team or other teams that have been standouts in that competition that weren't selected, they were probably 17 years of age. And likewise, in the uh, with the under-18s team, the, with the SG ball going up to 19 years That's of right. age. So you've got junior and yeah. senior years of eligibility and the ones in the senior years don't get picked in these teams. Yes, that's it. That's it. So it's it's interesting that um, you know there there are that they've kept those age groups. But there will uh, be uh, New South Wales nineteen selection uh, for at least the uh, SG ball players later on in the year, I believe. I don't know. Yeah, about... but it, it does. It, it it seems strange, however, doesn't it, that the the city country doesn't fall into alignment yeah. with the with the the state selection. So for whatever, I'm sure there is. It might be reason maybe it's maybe it's because of schoolboys because in year twelve most of them are going to be under eighteen. So I don't know. Oh, I guess yeah. Look, I, I I guess that comes in, but that that's a that's an entirely different competition, yeah, I know. isn't it? I mean, I, based on, we on have the to, school performance, we have to maybe uh, poke around and find out why that is. Uh, yeah, but yeah, the uh, so, representative um, honours flow on for the eels on the female side of the game, and uh, you talk about that Lisa Fiola Cup team boys. Well, they've been rewarded for an absolutely dominant campaign with nine, I believe, of the. 18 players picked for the New South Wales under-17s squad. Now, see, his, they 
fit in with the ages. Yes. So the under seventeens and under nineteen. So sorry yeah. for interrupting there. Uh, but we start with our rivalry Alo, then we have uh, Wairia Ellis, uh, Maria Fasavalu Farmasili, then we have uh, Tia Matthews and Logan Lamusu. Uh, moving on, we also have uh, Daniil Sekold, and then there's the uh, the two Toya sisters, Odetsa and Aliane, and then Fontaine Tefua to round it out with the coach. Deservedly, and a, a real honest applause, or round of applause here, boys, for Charlotte Henry, who is a, not just a wonderful coach, but a wonderful member of the Parramatta Eels family, and she's getting her much-deserved plaudits here coaching the uh, City team. Look, we're, we're, we're uh, biased we get because we're big fans of, of Shah, uh, not only for the coaching that she puts in, and can I just say as well that she's volunteers extra time helping out up at the mm-hmm. uh, Kellyville Bush Rangers as well, um, and her husband Milo, he's involved with Pathways. And on top of all of that, uh, they are the house parents in the Parramatta house. Like so said, the young players from Queensland that uh, are staying there in the uh, Parramatta house. And, you know, you couldn't have, um, you know, Shah and Milo and their family. You couldn't have better people for these young players to stay with in the Parramatta house. So, um, yeah, that's... That's terrific news there, and, and it seemed like you were almost naming an entire team. Well, uh, uh, half the team was Parramatta Eels, and I've got to say the Bulldogs also have good representation in this team, so going to be a fierce rivalry between the two teams in the Tasha Gale, it looks like. And speaking of Tasha Gale, uh, four reps from that team making the under-19s city team. No surprises among the four players here, picked boys, uh, Talara Bambwit, Debbie Dewey, Ashley Pottinger, and the uh, outstanding centre, Lindsay Tui. All four players had very good individual seasons, all worthy of selection. So well done to all and sundry. Absolutely, absolutely. So there's uh, there's plenty that's been happening in paradise, and I guess the only thing we need to go over now, mate, is the team list news. Yeah, well, let's get right into it uh, with the NRL Round 10 team list announcement. Players in and players out, a bit of action and transaction. Uh, starting at fullback, we've got Captain Quinton Gufferson, Micah Sivo, and Hayes Dunster holding their places on the wings. Obviously, no doubt about Micah, but for Hayes, it was probably a bit of a question mark about who would be the player missing out with the return of one Bailey Simonson, who makes his return in the centres alongside Will Penasini. Sean Russell, the man to miss out. In the halves, Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, unchanged as expected. In the front row, unchanged as expected. Wiramu Gregg doing a great job partnering Junior Barlow. Josh Hodgson will be the dummy half. In the back row, though, we do have a bit of a surprise, boys. Sean Lane holding down that left edge alongside Dylan, but Andrew Davey, well, he gets jettisoned straight into a starting position just one week after joining the club, which pushes uh, Bryce Cartwright and Ryan Madison to the bench because Jermaine Hopgood is the starting lock forward. Uh, so Cardi on the bench alongside Matto, Matt Casey Makatoa, and Brendan Hands. So I suppose the implication here being that uh, we're going to have a platoon on the right edge between Andrew Davey and Bryce Cartwright, freeing up Ryan Madison to reinforce that weakened middle where he'll work alongside Greg, Barlow and Makatoa. The extended roster, though, in case there are any changes this week, Jake Arthur, Sean Russell, Offahiki Ogden, Matt Dury and Jack Murchie. Chris Butler, the referee here, boys. One of those refs we actually have a pretty good record under, so that's a nice little boost for... A... Oh, I wish you hadn't said that. Uh, well, look, it's been it's been counteracted. It's been counteracted by the uh, Suncorp turf, which we'll get to shortly, so... 
Eels need everything in their corner this week, boys. And if Butler's going to help us get there, then so be it. Um, yeah, before we get on to the New South Wales Cup team, Clint, your thoughts? Yeah, look, yeah, the big news is obviously Andrew Davey coming back into the side. Um, his first NRL game for the Parramatta Reels since 2020. Um, obviously, there's a that um, I think that decision's been made with um, defence in mind and and and, and shoring up um, the right edge defensively. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, gents, but um, he'll he'll be the one marking Andrew Fafita. Fafita runs down their left, yeah. So you know it, it it makes sense to match a big body with a big body, and you know d- despite the fact that Bryce has been playing incredibly well, and um, in in particular you know had had a, had a highlight game last week, there there was a couple of tackles he missed, you know, and when you're playing a um a, a team that's got the attacking prowess of the Titans when they're in the mood. Um, you know, you want to have someone that can uh, reliably fill that defense, um, that edge defensively. And you know, I'm, I sure, I'm sure Andrew Davies has been given the um, the remit to give it a, a good solid twenty to thirty, and then we'll see Bryce come into the game. Um, likewise, uh, Hayes re- retaining his spot. Look, you know, continue with the theme of defense first. Yeah, been well documented. Hayes missed a couple of opportunities backing up um, some breaks from Will Penasini last week, but. Geez, boys, he made some really good defensive decisions and some really key tackles last week. And, you know, that's certainly not lost on me. And I dare say he's been rewarded with that effort. And um, Sean Russell, the unfortunate man to miss out. But, you know, he too had a couple of missed tackles um, last week. So, you know, he's probably been given the remit to go work on that, um, some of those things, um, particularly defensively in New South Wales Cup and um, and get ready to, for, for another shot at first grade um, in, in coming weeks. I, I think I tend to agree with your take on these being decisions based on defence because Hayes was... Look, I think he was outstanding in defence last week and it's and it's not just that he made half a dozen tackles without, uh, without a miss, but they were key tackles and also his defensive positioning shut down threats of attack. It's, it's often a similar situation that I've found with Dylan Brown over the years. Yeah, Dylan makes a lot of crucial tackles and a lot of try-saving tackles, but his positioning in defence also can shut down attacking moves before they happen. And I thought that that was the, the key over that side that where you didn't really see those line breaks where the Knights had a couple of renowned tackle break runners. And um, look, there was... I get what you're saying about um, Andrew Davey lining up against David Fafita. I think it's it's. I'm a little bit surprised how quickly uh, Andy's come back into the team in that regard. I, I think there's always a a risk that a coach takes with team dynamics with that. So he obviously he's obviously sounded out. I think the um, the team leadership group with this as well about uh, about making this selection because we know that Cardi's very popular with the group and it's not like Cardi's been dropped out of the first grade team or anything like that and in, and in fact after his performance last week you'd probably be up in arms if he was dropped out of the first grade team because for his 150th first, first grade game he had a, a, a quite a ripper of a game uh, but 
I want to put this to you. This is a question that came to me via one of our listeners, Michael Formosa. And he posed the question as to whether BA has made decisions around the likes of Dunster and Davey because they didn't play in Darwin. And so they're, uh, and given that, that, that physically that Darwin game takes its toll in this second week, whether it was, whether it was those two got the nod to be starters this week based on being a bit fresh of not having to play in Darwin. Look, it's a, it's a very good question, Michael, and thank you for sharing that, um, 60s. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the, the, the club um, led by the head, head of performance, Trent Elkin, are constantly monitoring um, the output of players and, and conducting what's known as load management. And anyone who's not familiar with that, it's the, that there's a certain output that every single player is uh, capable of. It's a metric that the uh, um, performance team use, and they use that to monitor um, what each individual player is capable of handling up until a certain point, and then they'll um, make the decision to deload um, the, the amount of physical output that each of those players have to do. That might take the form in the way of um, sitting out training sessions. It may even take the form in terms of um, rotating players in, um, throughout games and um, you know, making decisions around who starts and, 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 and who plays how many minutes. That may very well be the case here. Of course, I'm being completely speculative, but it's it's a great question. That may that may be what's taking place here. Yeah, it's uh, and we were talking. We were obviously talking about that a couple of weeks ago around that Darwin game. But I thought it's interesting. You know what? Even if it's not based on that, it's it's a decision in uh, in now thinking about it that I don't mind. I don't mind a couple of players that weren't involved in that match being selected in key positions in in this game so um but we uh we now move on we've got uh the new south wales cup team being successful last week and uh john you've got their team list for this yeah week. and they've actually got magic ground of their own happening out at north sydney oval on sunday three games there and on saturday i believe there was three games originally slated to be at redfern but moved to blacktown i want to say uh so blacktown or bankstown i think it was blacktown uh, so plenty of our magic round happening, although probably on a, a slightly small stage here for the Cup. They're taking on the Western Suburbs Magpies, who you remember a few weeks ago had that absolute bludger of a win, 10-6. Uh, but they line up like this with Dejan Arcee at fullback, Lumi Lumi and Chris Tupo on the wings. Sean Russell, who we spoke about, turns out in the centres with Zach Sini. In the halves, Jordan Rankin and Jake Arthur. Front row, Ogden, Ofiki Ogden dropping back to the Cup, where he'll partner Jira Momasia. Manny Luke holds down his starting place at dummy half. Very strong back row, Matt Dury, Jack Murchie, Luke Camruti at lock forward. On the interchange, Jaden Yates and Tony Mattayelli with Tavita Talmapenu. And the big hyphen, Jonte Jr., Beth and Misa. Jersey flag on the bye boys, so Jonte gets the call up to senior football once again. And uh, rounds out a pretty big bench there with uh, Talmapenu, Mattayelli and himself providing all the beef. So a reasonably, reasonably good-looking team here. Obviously the back line not as strong as it could have been, but Tupo... Uh, did a pretty good job last week, so he gets his chance again. And the Eels take on a Magpies outfit where the big stars are Dane Laurie, Will Smith. Uh, you got, well, after that, uh, former Parramatta Eel prospect, Tarsi James. Uh, Manaya Charrington is uh, part of the Charrington family, I believe. Uh, you got uh, uh, Tuki Mejia, Simpkins, Sean Bloor, and uh, 
yes, Yoni Fainu, who uh, I believe is beefing with the West Tigers after what happened with the West Manly game a couple of weeks ago. So, I don't know. It's a, a game they should win, uh, but it's not a home game, even though it is a home game. So, that's going to take that away from them. Yeah. Look, it's it's one of those games, I think, where we just don't know how the team is going to turn out. I mean, when I say turn out, I mean turn up, I should say. The previous few weeks was not them at their best. Last week against an opponent that's not going strong, they did get to something closer to their best football. At the very least, it would have returned a bit of confidence to the players. It certainly is good to be able to sing the team song rather than be sitting there and staring at the at the floor in the dressing sheds or, or staring at each other trying to work out what went wrong. So I'm not about to make a tip on the <laughs> Eels-New South Wales Cup team just yet. I, hopefully I might get out to one more training session this week. But uh, Clint, any 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 takes that you have on the team selections in New South Wales Cup? Oh, look, they all make sense. But the, the, the challenge is, is to back up. They've got to back up that performance. They can't let that win against the Knights be a flash in the pan. You know, and I've, I've, I'm looking at the forward pack when I say this. You know, you've got to back up your effort. You know, they, they all had strong performances against the Knights. Now it's time to, um, to to back that up and continue knocking down the front door of an RL selection. We saw Ogden's good performance and probably a career game, as, um, as Forty touched on earlier um, in NRL last week. Prove that you want that bench spot. You know, the, the same challenge goes out to guys like Matt Dury and, and, and Jack Murchie and... And even Jura, who who has featured in 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 first grade, you know, it, there are spots there for players who perform. So give the coach every possible headache and every possible reason to consider you. Yeah, absolutely. Now we move on to NRL news. We just covered the news in paradise. It's NRL news time, and we're going to start off with. Well, I'm going to link it to our team list Tuesday because forty titled the. Team List Tuesday this week, the post Turfus Repairus yeah. edition. <laughs> Need a little so, bit of Harry Potter magic, don't we? Yeah, magic <laughs> round. The focus is certainly on the turf there on Suncorp Stadium. Will that ground hold up? Flint, oh. what's your takes, mate? Is it going to hold up? We're the, last, we're the last match of the weekend. Are, are we going to be playing on uh, some sort of sand pit? <laughs> or, or just a or a bog of some sort by but then. It, it kind of feels that way, you know. Suncorp hasn't been in the best of condition coming into Magic Round. You know, there's been some questions about um, the, the quality of the surface there prior to Magic Round taking place. You know, the, the fact that there's going to be um, every other game this round preceding it before we got there. Oh, I've been apprehensive about Magic Round for a couple of weeks now, gents. Um, you know... You don't want to. I never want to wish injury upon anyone, but it, you always you always worry about Magic Round and 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 being the last game as we are because it almost creates the perfect storm of conditions that's conducive to creating um, injuries. You know, and let's all collectively knock on wood and hope that that doesn't happen for either side. You know, we want to we want a good contest uh, with a Parramatta victory, of course. But um, I, I've been I've been incredibly nervous about this one for a couple of weeks, gents. And you know, um, 
<laughs> I, w- I worry there'll be a cow paddock out there and something that's not too akin to uh, some of the, the fields that um, our national uh, football side, soccer side, the Socceroos are play that in World Cup qualifiers in years gone by. It is, I got concerns. We'll 40, do you share Clint's oh, concerns? Mate, we'll wear at Jack's Bar and Grill doing our, our live post-game show with uh, the amazing Michael Butner, And we had the South's Broncos game up in the background and uh, you have the projector behind us, but the TV's in front of us. So you could see the game happening as we we're talking. And it was Divot City for the lone game of round nine. And we have seven more games to play before the Eels and Titans take the field. Uh, it is fair to say that I am deeply concerned. Because you look at our team. Gufferson, Sevo, uh, we got Hodge, Dunster, uh, Dunster Hodgson, Dury, Dury uh, who, who isn't in the 17th. Oh, like, no, right. Count, yeah, count his blessings. But uh, yep. Andrew Davey. Uh, yes. I'm just trying to think if uh, anyone else has had any major, like they're, they're all of a major knee guys off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, you also stretch out to Dury in the uh, extended roster too. Uh, and, yeah, you get real concerned. Uh, all it takes is just, you know, one bad turn when you plant that foot, uh, let alone having, you know, two or three hundred-plus kilo monsters draped over you in all sorts of weird angles. Uh, so, yeah, very, very concerned. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, it just... The NRL's known about this problem for months now. Like, the the, the Suncorp turf was struggling from, like, rounds two or three. And yeah. uh, this isn't, you know, a surprise. So, it's not... I mean, that's what's frustrating, isn't it? Because you you, you want to see some type of proactive action addressing these concerns. And that, that, that's probably ultimately where our, um, our shared worry comes from, is that there doesn't seem to have been, or at the very least, if there has, it hasn't been actively communicated that there's been work done to mitigate this. And and maybe yeah. as a concept, Magic Round needs to be, it can be in the one city, but, you know, each of the two major days, because obviously the Saturday and Sunday action is completely different to the Friday uh, in terms of the games played, uh, needs to be spread around different grounds. So if it was in Sydney, you could have your Saturday at Combank and then your Sunday at the uh, new Allianz Stadium. Or if it's in Brisbane, you can have your, like your, you want to have the big day, whichever one it is, let's say it's Sunday at uh, Suncorp, but then the sad day goes to, uh, well, the Gold Coast doesn't quite work there because it is a fair trip, but uh, another venue somewhere. you just got to figure out how to balance it because clearly the turf is not holding up at Suncorp. Uh, and as, yeah. as fun a gimmick as Magic Round is, and it's obviously been a pretty viable commercial uh, proposal because otherwise the NRL would have abandoned it by this point. It's obviously doing a good job. It just mean, it just feels like we're, we are so close to having like black Magic Round in terms of like disaster like yeah. at some uh, point it's going to happen we're, we're being, we're, we're being um, taking the, the viewpoint for, of as the all supporters with our team playing last but of course uh, Titans fans would be f- feeling similarly um, I can't remember what the other match is that's on the Sunday but they're they're going to have their own concern in fact the last match on each day is going to have its concerns let alone let alone the first match on each day, because as you as you just referenced, forty that the turf was tearing up during that Broncos and South game uh, from last Friday night. So it's it's just going to be. Let's hope, if not pray, that no players in any team get injuries that are a result of the conditions of the turf, because I'm sure that the clubs will be in absolute uproar if that's the case. And when it comes down to it, and it, it's, I take a similar 
stance to this is what I did do with the the Darwin situation. The the game itself in this instance should not be making the the match conditions harder for players, or in this case, potentially uh, more uh, dangerous for players to participate in. I think there's a duty of care there, and if anything untoward were to happen as a result of the turf, it, it could be a fair argument that there was a, a distinct lack of duty of care because of the fact that everyone knows what the, the condition of the grass is in there. So anyway, we move on because we had one of the biggest upsets of the season, if not for many seasons last week when the Tigers defeated the Panthers out in the bush and it was horribly raining conditions it was a close fought game, but I ask: Is this a, a an indication that the Tigers have found the way to win games, or is it an indication that the Panthers are not the team that they were? I I think that they played in probably the greatest leveling conditions that you're going to get this year uh, in that torrential downpour, uh, which completely uh, usurped Penrith's ability to move the ball effectively. And to their credit, the West Tigers dug their heels in squared their shoulders up and got to work. And that's why they won that game. They just played simple, tough, and physical football. And like we're, we're seen, the football, yeah, and like, like we're saying with the Eels, when you play physical football, you're going to put yourself in the contest far more often than you're not. And that was the case of the West Tigers. They did the job. And yes, it took Penrith playing fairly shocking football, uh, but credit to Appius Icorosau, who dragged that team downfield at times by himself. Um, he is having a, a pretty tremendous season considering how poor his supporting cast has been up until this game. Uh, but yeah, the, the Tigers, like I said, to their credit, showed a bit of guts. And uh, Penrith, in a way, got rolled. They probably were expecting to just, you know, to breeze past the Tigers. And when they showed a bit of starch and a, and a bit of solidarity towards the other players, on the, on the West Tigers side, that is, uh, Penrith really struggled for answers. Clint, can the Tigers back it up and beat, uh, I think it's the Dragons they're playing this week? Well, to me, gents, the Tigers haven't been as poor as an 0-17 usually is. And what I mean by that is there's some players having some decent performances, you know, some forwards making metres and making their tackles. You know, I think the series of last um, three or four games, they've dominated possession. So from from a metrics perspective, they've been hitting their mark. But, you know, um, as we touched on those conditions, really preventing Penrith from being able to move the ball. And, you know, that might have just given the Tigers the defensive edge they need. And, you know, we touched on it with the New South Wales Cup. Sometimes you just need one win and that that that, that um, gives you the confidence to, to go on and get another. You know, that might be the case with the Tigers. They're, they're coming up against a very desperate St. George side this weekend. You know, and it's um it's probably the best time for the Tigers to get them straight after that victory over the Panthers. Penrith were obviously missing some players, and you know the conditions didn't work in their favour. But they're also not the side that they were last year. Um, you know, and um I think they've got they've got a handful of of players returning this week. You know, um, James Fisher Harris is one of them. He obviously adds a lot of steel and starch to their their pack, but. You know, I, I think it's a, a case of um, both sides of the argument here, gents, in that um, the Tigers, 
the, the, the Tigers were much improved and, you know, they took advantage of the conditions that suits this, um, suits the style of players that are in their team. Likewise, the Panthers struggled in the conditions and, you know, um, there was probably a little bit of um, uh, newspaper headlines in the, in, um, in, in the mind of the, the, the Panthers players just expecting to roll past the Tigers. Wasn't the case. Yep. Now, uh, another uh, incident to come out of the weekend was the Josh Reynolds swearing and confrontation with the uh, referee Grant Atkins in the Bulldogs clash with the Dragons. I want to comment on this first because I put the question out there on Twitter about whether Josh Reynolds, his competitiveness crosses the line from an asset for the team into a liability. Now, I put that question immediately out at half-time as the as this incident had first uh, unfolded and it was it was a question that's been raised to uh, some headlines this this uh this week in terms of should he have been sin-binned which would then mean yes that would have been a major liability for the bulldogs my concern out of this however is that there have been commentators jumping to the defence of Josh Reynolds. Now, the way that I see it, and, and I'm, I'm not a prude in any way, shape or form, but he's, okay, he's used language at the official, the match official. That's a bit of an issue. However, I think the, the biggest issue is he actually has no right to go and challenge the referee or to, or to have a go at the referee about his decisions. He's not the captain of the team. So for him to actually put his team at risk of him being sent to the sin bin for dissent on the referee's calls is not the sign of a leader in the team. I mean, he's one of the most senior players in the NRL these days. So he, he ran that risk. He, he spoke today about he takes pride in being a role model in the game and he regrets the language that he uses, but he doesn't really regret challenging the referee about the call because he said it was the heat of the moment. Tell me how that's any different in to using bad language at the referee when you're talking about being a role model for the kids. What, what sort of player who's, who's not the captain who has no right to go and address the referee is setting a, a, a an example to children in the game if he's going to behave like that. Uh, yeah. Tell me your yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think if a player vents their frustration to the air when there's some tough decisions, that's one thing. You know, you expect players in the heat of the moment to sometimes let their emotions, you know, bubble out like that. But if you're coming into the referee's face and screaming, that's BS. You know, and and like you said, he's not the captain and. So even on the grounds, just going to the cat to the referee in the first place is almost grounds for a symbion, because you know you have no rights as a player to to be challenging the referee, let alone you know screaming, uh, like not like it's a, a, a awful exploitative, but it's, uh, it's an exploitative nonetheless. You know, screaming it in his face aggressively, then yeah, uh, should have been symbion. Uh, NRL should have had the referees back to the match at the MRC afterwards, and uh, yeah, I, I think. It's a terrible, uh, like precedent or or image to have for the young players in the game. It's something you want to be cracking down on because people do feed off that sort of thing, unfortunately. And if they're seeing, Clint, 
Yep. Sorry, John. No, I was saying if they're seeing Josh Reynolds do it, they'll be saying, well, I can do it. Yep. Clint? I, I want to preface what I'm going to say with that. I, I like Josh Reynolds as a player. And, you know, I, I, I think he's been a good player for, for Canterbury over the years. And, you know, his, his return to that club after a number of years out of it is um, is a feel-good news story. You know, he, he, he's he been uh, a part of the identity of um, the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs for some time, um, even in his absence. Um, however, you can't have it both ways and you can't be a, a role model just when it's easy. Arguably, mm. you're actually a role model when it's hard. Mm-hmm. Good words. And, yep. and, and Josh failed the test there. Yep. You know, um, yeah, it's easy he, to, he, to be the role yeah, model when things are easy. easy. It's easy to take the photos and have the words with the kids when, you know, um, it's the off season or after a victory. It's hard when um, it happens after a loss. It's hard when the team is struggling, you know, and, and, and I might call reference to something that happened in the Premier League over the last couple of days. And this actually happened with, with the Premier League team. I support Leeds United, who are in a very fierce relegation battle at the moment uh, and, and certainly took a step closer towards relegation after a, um, after a heavy loss at the hands of Bournemouth. And there was a number of fans who were after that match were waiting to, um, to, to, to get photos with the Leeds players who just could not be any more interested in what was going on. Now, look, that's not to say that there aren't role models that exist there within that club either, but they failed their test at that moment. It's easy to do things when the club's winning. It's easy to do things when everything is going well. What's not easy is, uh, is, is when, when you're going through difficult times, when, when, when you're being challenged, when you're losing. And in those heat of the moment, uh, those things do happen in the heat of the moment as it did with Josh Reynolds. But that's the real test. That's when, that's when you are asked whether you're a role model or not, not, not at other moments. And, and speaking of being put to the test and how you react when you're put to the test, we've seen that Zach Lomax has been dropped by Coach Griffin in, uh, from the St George team this week. And it's been reported that uh, Griffin didn't give him a reason for being omitted from the team, um, but also that the reason that that may be the case is that Lomax, uh, inverted commas, didn't take the decision well. And that was a, quite a bit of discussion that was on NRL 360 tonight with Paul Kent reporting that um, Zach Lomax did not take kindly to the news. So, I mean, how do you feel about a, a player like that? I've I've received lots of messages via social media tonight saying, should we chase Lomax now? Is he is he the player that the Eels should chase? Now, my take on this is, first of all, he's under contract. So, you, and he's under contract, what, till the end of 26? 26. Something like that. I don't see St. George releasing a player who is under contract till the end of 26, when in all likelihood, the coach is going to be moved on at the end of 23. So the player's around for three more years than what the coach is, and that's if the coach sees out his time. But secondly, there's also the question mark as to whether if if reports are true that the player did not take too kindly to the news, do you want a player that doesn't handle those sort of situations of adversity? Clint, what's your thoughts here, mate? 
obviously this is all speculative um, that he he did have that reaction. But let's of run course, yeah. let's run this yeah. though as though it's true and he did have a, a negative response to that news. The answer to your question, Sixties, would be absolutely not. You know, the, the, these are players who are out there in the trenches. They're out there fighting the war each and every week. You know, and the second that something doesn't go their way, that's part and parcel of the job. That comes with the territory. It's an occupational hazard. You know, these things could happen at the drop of a hat. You've got a, co- a coach there that's fighting for his career. And, um, you know, we've argued over the previous weeks that it's a losing battle. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's probably going to throw the kitchen sink and, and try whatever he can and whatever he believes might work for the team that week to try and keep his job. You know, so uh, part of being a professional athlete is accepting these decisions, seeking feedback, asking on what you can work on and and, and trying to earn that reprieve and get your way back into the side. You know, um, and no player, no matter their status, is exempt from those discussions. You know, so I, I think, um, you know, if, if this is in fact what's happened, Zach might look back at this moment with a little bit of remorse. Um, you know, it, it's, it's part of growing up. We've got to keep in mind that he's still a, a, a young man himself, but he's been around the game long enough to know what's expected of him as well. You know, so I'm not going to give him, I'm not going to give him the out just because he's younger. You know, he's getting paid a good salary there at St. George. So he needs to carry himself like someone that's paid a good salary. And that's, that, that comes with the expectation of a degree of professionalism. Yep, John. It's easy to be enamoured with the talent that players like Zach Lomax possess. And so when something sets them back at their club immediately, you sort of, like I used that term before, it's like chum in the water, right, for all the Sharks. Everyone starts getting in a frenzy. Let's go get him. Let's sign him. And, you know, I think even myself at times I've said, yeah, well, surely Brad Alfie will get the best out of Zach Lomax. But there's a couple of things you've got to consider is obviously the character test that you were talking about there, boys, and whether he's passed or failed them, being in the trenches with a team that's struggling and how he's responded to those pressures. And also just looking at our team, Zach Lomax's struggles are because he is playing at left centre for St. George Illawarra. He is a natural right centre. He comes to Parramatta and he's still going to have his struggles on the left edge. And is he going to really unseat the, the young centre that's been a tool of the force in the NRL this year in Will Penasini? Like, do, do you move Will Penasini and everything he's doing on the right edge for Zach Lomax? I'm not. Like, yeah, like that, exactly. Yeah. You get, like, with Lomax, you get a nice backup goal kicker and the potential to play maybe fullback in a pinch too. Uh, but yeah, it's like I said, it's so easy to be a number of the talent he possesses. But uh, how much of his problems are personal? How much of his problems are the struggles of the St. George Dragons? I don't know. If you're a talent talent evaluator and you're paid for that, you've got to extricate that from the mess that is St. George and figure out whether he's worth going to. Because from the outside looking in, for me, I'd say it's a pass. Yeah, and I think ultimately for any club, and therefore for any any coach where he might potentially be a player, and that's for the incoming coach at St. George, uh, probably ahead of anyone else, is whether you feel, whether they, whether that coach feels that he is a talent that they can work with. And they'd only know that from doing their due diligence or um, talking to people that they know that have, that have worked with the player. That there can be things that might be going on in a player's personal life that could be impacting their form and, and their temperament. Signing Zach Lomax isn't signing Zach Lomax for 2023 as your X Factor. It's signing him till the end of 2026. So you're essentially taking on a Wonga Blake 2.0 contract. That, that sort of commitment for you know three, four Absolutely. years. So you've got to yep. figure out whether he fits not just for now, but in the long term. 
Yeah, yeah. And as I said, that's for that's basically for any club that might be considering approaching him or, um, you know, when the Dragons work out what, what's going to happen. And it, look, and it may well be that maybe Anthony Griffin was think, thinking the same thing as what the great Jack Gibson used to think with Brett Kenny, where he would reach a point in the season where he'd want him to rest for a week. And, um, you know, as, as Brett told us, when he said he really didn't want to do that, and, and Gibbo said to him, well, "Well, you can go and introduce yourself to the reserve grade coach if you if you don't want load, to take a week." Load management is a real thing in the NBA, and with the NRL season getting longer and grindier than ever, we're probably not that far off from legitimate load management coming into the game, and looking at players that could use that week off here or there in order to get them back to one hundred percent or keep them mentally fresh. Well, as Clint spoke about before. That that could be part of that uh, decision making around the the team the, this week. The two week lag on Darwin, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But let's move out to other more um, interesting off field issues oh, at boy. a club, and that's oh, the, that's boy. that's Manly with the Schuster and Madison blow up. Dean Madison, of course, Ryan's younger brother. Dean Madison, yeah, yeah, the younger brother. Of Ryan Madison and in, uh, in front of the coach, coach. like that. Yep. This was at, at this not in the game. It was in front of the coach with our other players present too. Yeah. Now uh, Dean, of course, uh, came through the pathways at Parramatta just as Ryan did, and um, Dean was also someone who had quite a bit to do with uh, the Giant Step School and uh, working with uh, young people on the spectrum. Uh, we uh, he, he played with Parramatta up until the um, the NYC competition finished. I think was it the last year of the NYC competition that was his twenty seventeen. Yeah, year? I, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's uh, that that was the case. He's yep. been uh, he's been running around in um, in New South Wales Cup for Mounties last year from memory. Um, I think he might have been at Blacktown too. If I'm not mistaken, well, he, he's now at Blacktown again yeah. with the um, with this uh, with the Manly um, connection there, and of course he's had the blow up with Josh Schuster. And so, and- I'm looking into the situation. Apparently, I might be wrong about this, but apparently, Schuster has a, a prank, and I use that term very loosely, where he plays, where he stands behind someone and then smacks him on the back of the neck or the backside of the head. And uh, I think Madison might have been his victim a couple of times. And understand we didn't take a liking to being pranked again loosely in that such a nature and took exception. So, yeah. yeah well, given that it was at a team barbecue and, um, I mean, the, again, the apologists are saying, uh, look, and even the like the Manly players themselves, as you'd expect, they might. Putting out come out and said, exactly. look. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, look, it's no big deal for players to have a bit of a blow up between themselves. Or, you know, this can happen in in opposed sessions, and that can happen in opposed sessions. And sometimes we have to pull players apart, and and what have you. And look, I've I have no doubt that that happens, but I don't know how often it happens. I I, I can tell you in you know how how much uh, Parramatta Eels training that I've watched, and and I'm of course I'm talking I'm not talking about the you know, anything that might happen in the um, in their contact work in the wrestling room because that may well be where things fire up the most and maybe there's been blow-ups there over the years. But in the last 10 years of watching Eels training, 
I can genuinely say I've only ever seen one blow up that if players didn't sort of step between a couple of blokes that it might have fired up a little bit. Um, but the two players themselves never came to blows because one was sort of moving away and the other one was was running after him. Um, not not over a distance, but because the players very quickly grabbed the uh, the, the person who wasn't too happy and and they settled down and the, the two blokes walked off. Um, at the end of the session, they, they weren't there weren't any issues with them. They were talking to each other and what have you. But that's all I've ever seen at the Eels. Now maybe the Eels are a bit of an exception, um, and we have read incidents over the years where players have have come to blows. But I I think when that's happened, there's there's been some genuine bad bad blood from what I can remember. Um, is there an issue at the Sea Eagles? Do you think? Well, I think we saw last year there was an issue at the Sea Eagles, and they chose to side with the. Uh... The uh, young sort of uh, talent in the club, and go off a new coach and empower the young talent, and uh, it turns out it's a pretty loose ship. So, yeah, I'm I'm not surprised that there is immaturity in their playing ranks. So, yeah, Clint, you you uh, played up to um, a level where you were part of uh, development squad at the Eels. In your years of playing football, how often did you see blow-ups between teammates? Well, it's part and parcel of a physical sport that there would be, you know, there's a lot of testosterone going around on the field out yeah. there as well. Uh, you know, we're, but, we're talking about athletes physically exerting themselves yeah. to, in, in to the heat of moment, their Bob's absolute capacity. Happen, absolutely. When you're playing a contact sport, and like 67, when you're running attack versus defense, you're getting physical. You're going to get high shots and... You know, hard blows that cause people to flare up. But yeah, when it's when it's stuff off the field, that's when you start getting concerned. And and that was the and that was the segue I was going to make. You know, and and this this wouldn't be news if Josh Schuster wasn't already in the news for other reasons. You know, it's 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 when you start tugging at that thread that some of this information comes out, and you know, you have to kind of wonder who leaks this information and what their um. What, what might be the driving um, reason for that, you know? That's Josh a very good some... point. Yeah, that's a very good point because if this is just at a team barbecue, were there outsiders there that have leaked that? Was it someone inside the club that's leaked it as, as one of the players leaked it to a mate who's then leaked it to another mate, blah, blah, blah? We don't know because that's where, that's where you start to think, is there something to this story getting out? Possibly, you know, and, and, and to use the phrase that, that, that Forty said before, from, from the outside looking in, it's painting a certain picture about what's going on at Manly. And you compound that with, with what took place at the end of last year um, and, and, and the way that Des Hasler departed the club. Um, you know, there's the Anthony, oh, sorry, uh, rather um, Anthony Seabold, yes, um, still has some of his critics um, in, in the wider rugby league world, given what took place during his tenure at Brisbane. You know, there's... There's, there's all these little little sub elements to, to these stories that you know, in in lieu of the dots being connected, people start to connect their own dots, and sometimes it can become a self fulfilling prophecy really quickly. Manly's going to have to tread very carefully in terms of how it manages its PR moving forward because, you know, the longer that this stuff goes on and continues to come out, faster their season will derail just like it did last year. 
And speaking of Manly, we see one of Manly's uh, favourite families, or, or I shouldn't say favourite families, but a, an important family, the Fulton family. Scott Fulton has now taken up a position with the West Tigers. And, I mean, it's interesting that he's moved from the northern beaches to a role out in southwestern Sydney where he was actually poaching players from for the Manly team. But then on top of everything else, because we're talking about the West Tigers, <laughs> we then have the scenario where the football club knew nothing about yeah, it. This the chairman and the CEO of Acted Rogue, <laughs> uh, Lee Hagger the Pantelis and uh, Justin Pascoe have operated in the dark without informing uh, uh, the head of football, Tim Sheens, and just said, yeah, by the way, here's your new recruitment guy, head of recruitment. And, and that Paget Mentalis, he, he's justified. He has no problem whatsoever that the, the, the coaching staff were clueless about it. <laughs> I mean, mm. besides all of that, like Warren McDonald, he's going to be shoved out by that move. And again, you're talking about people who have relationships within the football club and there's a decision that's made without consultation to them. And and is it little wonder that the West Tigers have had issues that seem to be ongoing and the problems that seem to be caused by the board and the executives within that club, it's just astounding. Like I, I mean, I'm just glad that we're not seeing this sort of stuff that's happening around the eels. That's all I'll say. Mm. And it's uh, I was trying to think. I think I saw somewhere that Tim Sheens had rehired someone that uh, Pasco had fired twice in the past on separate oh, occasions. Goodness. So maybe this was a, a means of getting back. I don't know, like. Um, oh, let's say hypothetically that yeah, that, uh, yeah that well, it was McDonald it was McDonald it was McDonald it was McDonald so <laughs> what what excuse my language gents but what type of shit show is that um you know th- th- these are the these are the leaders and executive managers of the club they should be meeting with each other with some form of regularity consulting on these decisions and it's not up to the chairman um who really shouldn't be in the day-to-day. Their concerns are with the board and ensuring that the CEO is executing the strategy and supporting the CEO and able to achieve that. Um, They shouldn't be in the day-to-day operations like that. And I mean, Clint, in what world does a board make a decision? I mean, even if they... They shouldn't. They shouldn't. That's not not their purpose. And given... not even not even a consultation, not even a heads up. Like it, it's just straight out. Uh, by the way, Scott Fulton's now working with you. Given like, the uh, covert nature of it all, on both sides, as much as like him going for Manly and the Tigers not really knowing he was coming on board, you got to wonder if our uh, promises were made about you know expeditious uh, raids on Manly talent. And guaranteeing, well, I, I use the blue term blue chip very loosely because Manly aren't doing too flash in the juniors this year. Uh, but, you know, securing some of the best talent from Manly. Yeah, well, it's whatever it is, you, you can just 
it just feels like it's more of the same from the West Tigers and where they may have taken one step forward with their football performance on the weekend, you can't help but feel that the board is helping them or pushing them towards taking two steps backwards. So, yeah, uh, look, they're, they're not aligned, gents, clearly. And it, it's uh, to, to reference four quadrant leadership, it seems as though some of the executives within that club like to go quadrant one leadership on decisions that should be quadrant two and quadrant three in, in that they should be consultative and a group decision comes uh, is what determines the outcome as opposed to rogue executives saying my way or the highway, like it or lump it. Yeah. You, you can't successfully operate that way in rugby league. There's, there's too much interdependency. It's uh, almost comic on a cosmic level for poor West Tigers fans too, because they get their breakthrough win against the back-to-back running premiers in torrid conditions, things looking like they could be on the up, and then you deal fish it. Like, oh, good Lord. Yeah, and, and we're not suggesting in any way that they've made the wrong appointment. With just Scott the process Ford, is terrible. No, it, it's the it, 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 could be the, it might be the complete opposite. It's yeah. just, it's astounding, the methodology that's been involved mm-hmm. in it. Um, now, just to wrap things up, um, it sort of flew under the radar a little bit with me, but South copped a fine for having a 14th player on the field during their victory over the Brisbane Broncos. How long was that for? Uh, that 50, 53rd minute for, I want to say... 30 or 40 seconds maybe, or maybe close to a minute. Um, okay. So now, it, there was no try score during that period. And the game was pretty much well and truly over by that point too, I'm pretty certain. Uh, I think Souths have piled on a fair margin. I'll just go back to their game recap, which was on Friday night. So I have to go back, back a little bit further. So, yeah, they only scored two more tries after that point. So Okay. So we're, we're, we're happy with that call. It's a common sense call. Yeah. But we're... Where is where does the line get drawn where a, a team might be at risk of losing competition points? Yeah, it's a it's a fair question because you're talking about margin of victory, uh, windows of scoring in relation to the substitution. So if any points are scored when the player is on the field, I think it's immediate grounds for suspension of uh, competition points. Um, but yeah, in this case, South got very lucky that it was a game beyond doubt at that point because in a closer game. Yeah, even changing field position because you've got one player advantage, that sort of cascading butterfly effect, like how do you evaluate it? Yeah, well, if there's a, a an extended period of defence, like if that if that period, which might give the best part of a set of six, if that was in defence and you're able to hold out... Yeah, have a full-back and act, a full 13-man defensive line. Correct. Um, you know, like you, you start to you start to get into, as you said, that cascading effect of, okay, they were prevented from scoring here. Um, what would a try at this point for the opposition have meant, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I just wonder, if they have they got guidelines, like distinct guidelines for this down at the NRL, or are they basically flying by the seat of their pants with when they have to make a decision on it? Like, is there just no firm and, and fast rule that they apply? It's a good question. You know, I have a, yeah, it's a, it's a shame that it happened before we up. had it, or why we were chatting to Mick Buten and we weren't aware of it, 60s. It would have been a fantastic question to uh, parlay onto him in terms of his experience in the MRC. Yeah, 
absolutely. Are there hard and fast guidelines or they just sit down and look at the context of the game in any given circumstance and say, yeah, I mean, South are never going to lose, so it's just fine. And, or going back to, I think it was West Tigers versus Bulldogs. They had the extra player on in the final minutes of that game. And I think they initially took the competition points away. I don't know if they were uh, restored under appeal. There was, there was one game that they restored points under appeal. So, yeah, it's a very interesting uh, situation where, yeah, is there reference material for this stuff or they sort of just play it case by case uh, and by the year? Well, the, the thing that – sorry, sorry, Jens. I was just going to say the thing that resonates with me with this is one of the things in, in the use of language we see the NRL regularly use is – denying a team the opportunity of x now you know when 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 you're referencing there before about um about um you know a 13 man defensive line with a fullback behind them brisbane effectively are being denied the opportunity to play against an even uh, an even playing field you know is that is is that the baseline for establishing this stuff? Obviously, there's a lot of mitigating factors, and to the to, to the points that 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 you both made, I, I think all of those things need to be taken into consideration, as well as the duration in which um, a 14th man is on the field. But you know, if we want to try and um, call out for consistency, you know, by virtue of decisions that the um, the on-field officials and the NRL make. Uh, around a lot of things that take place on the field in 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 their post weekly review, it's the language that regularly gets used is denying the opportunity. Yeah, I think that um, South were lucky that it occurred at a time when um, I think they pretty much had possession during that. And if I guess if it had gone longer and they were um, defending a full set with an extra player advantage that might start to maybe that crosses the line. But this is the thing. We just don't know. We just don't know what the line in the sand is for the NRL where uh, it crosses from being fine worthy into um, worthy of losing competition points. Do they, do they define it by the period of time that it lasts for? Do they define it by the impact or the loss of opportunity for a team that's created by the extra person out there on the field, no matter how long it is that they're out there, I mean, if they're if they're out there for five minutes before it's picked up, and heaven forbid that would ever be the case that a team could have an extra player for anything longer than a few seconds, because you think there has to be uh, someone out there, an interchange official or someone uh, like someone on the that's looking at their own bench, goes, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got not enough players here on the bench. Uh, Joe Bloggs is out there on the field. He's supposed to be sitting here. Like you'd think that there's enough uh, there's enough checks to make sure that that doesn't happen. But there have been incidents over the years, albeit for seconds. So you'd like to think that there is a hard and fast rule. But I guess in this instance, we can be thankful that there was a common sense approach that was uh, adopted by the NRL. Well, fellas, another bumper news episode we've got through it <laughs> some way somehow <laughs> yeah the uh the news cycle never ends in the nrl it just churns and churns and churns so thankfully it hasn't been a uh, knock on wood there hasn't been any big off-field dramas we've just got the on-field dramas now which is the best kind of drama yeah and uh, <laughs> and clint thanks for joining us again once once more for our news episode thanks again to 
uh, Big Swing Golf at North Mead and for Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. And of course, don't forget that we will be at uh, Parramatta Leagues Club in Jack's Bar and Grill Sunday afternoon for the big clash between the Eels and the Titans. We'll do a bit of a pre-game. We'll do our post-match reactions there. Get down to Parramatta Leagues Club as a live site where you as Parramatta supporters, if you haven't made the interstate trip up there to Brisbane, if you want to be joining other real supporters and having a bit of an atmosphere in watching the game, then get down there to the home of the Eels. Uh, John, mate, you've done brilliantly as usual. Clint, <laughs> champion. And uh, all I have to say, mate, is go you Eels. <laughs>